Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and this is episode 33 of the podcast. My guest today left his corporate job with a 401k and benefits to pursue his dream as a professional poker player. Brett shares that journey with us and sheds light on many poker-related misconceptions. Today on the show, we discuss online poker, regulation, tracking software, competing in the World Series of Poker, amateurs who give up too much information on the poker table women's only poker tournaments, and the men who insist to enter. Brett answers listener questions about human behavior and gives advice to those thinking about leaving their day job to pursue poker full-time. This episode is part of a series of hands-on professions that shed light on human behavior. Other guests on this podcast include a military dog trainer, an outdoor survivalist leader, a spiritual counselor, a first responder, and a funeral director, among others. Visit the Carlina Show website for a full list of episodes. From there, you can connect with us on social media and see the show notes. If you have an idea for a guest, reach out to me and let me know. One more thing, thank you, Stephen Lorca, for video editing, so we can post this episode on the Carlina Show YouTube channel as well as the podcast. Now I bring you The Carlina Show, episode 33. Brett, take me back to about a year ago or so when you decided to make the transition from a nine-to-five career to poker. Well, you know, I've played poker for so many years, and uh, I've always done uh, real well with it, you know, um, I just, I guess I, I had a lot of fun with it anyway. And, you know, I didn't take it seriously to try and start winning money at it until a few years ago. And I was just, I was doing real well making, you know, making a lot of money playing when I wasn't working. And it was almost like being at work was a second job. And I was making, you know, money from that, but it was more fun and uh, more lucrative to just play poker. So, yeah. With the support of my wife, uh, we just decided that I was going to give up my good corporate job and uh, give this a shot. And that was that was just about a year ago this month. Yeah. What were you doing? And did you find what you were doing fulfilling? <laughs> well, kind of. I was a multi-unit manager, and uh, you know, I've been in. Uh, I started being in business for myself when I was in my early twenties. I was a franchisee with Domino's Pizza, and I owned six different pizza stores and. So I've always kind of been a multi-unit guy, and uh, I, after I got out of the pizza business, I stayed in management, and I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoy managing people, I enjoy building teams and uh, everything. But you're working for somebody else, and uh, it's hard to really, really enjoy that when there's the opportunity to just kind of be free and be out on your own and do whatever you want, which is what mm-hmm. I can do with you know playing poker professionally. Right. Right. Okay. So, um, so kind of describe that, that week, if you can take us back to that, the, the week that you decided to make this change and then like what the first couple of days were like. Well, uh, I was at, at work and, uh, I'd come home and I had to work weekends and, uh, I hardly ever saw my wife and we talked about this a lot. And on my days off, I was so tired because I was working, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week that we really didn't get a lot of time to spend together. And she just said, you know, you want to pursue poker? Why don't you do it? And I said, you know, if I've got your support, I would love to do that. And we made the decision for me to just do it. I put in my notice and have not looked back. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the first couple of days of, of playing poker professionally. It was not really different than when I had you know, played because I, I would play, you know, four or five nights a week online anyway. And then I would travel to different events. I'd go out to the World Series in the summer. And so I was already playing probably, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week when I was off work. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't wasn't a real big change other than the fact that I didn't have to put on a corporate outfit and 
you know, go tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of peaceful to not have that stress in my life anymore. Yeah. So describe like an, an average day. Like what does your day look like? Well, I have two things. If I'm playing online, then uh, I'll get up, I'll take a look at, you know, which tournaments across the different sites are available and see what I decide to play on. And then I'll, I'll sit down and I, I've got a really nice setup at home. I've got three screens that hook together and it allows me to multi-table if I'd like. And uh, so I kind of pick the tournaments that I think will be the best as far as uh, the best prize pool and the easiest to beat. So once I get into that, I turn off the TV or whatever I got going in the background and sit down and concentrate and try and uh, win a little money. <laughs> now, if, uh, if I travel, it's a little bit different. I just went to Tunica this weekend, so I'll go out and, you know, I'll get settled into my hotel or whatever, and I'll go register for the tournament that's playing that, that I plan on being in. And, uh, you know, I usually try to have a good dinner, maybe do a little meditation and get down there and just really focus, uh, and try and be the best I can be while I'm at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when you're at home, what time do you wake up in the morning? Well, I get up really early with, uh, with my wife and we always have breakfast together, but then I don't usually start playing until about 11 o'clock because mornings there just aren't a lot of people playing poker, even online, even though, you know, it's a worldwide thing, uh, at, you know, 8am Eastern time, there's not a lot of big tournaments going on. So I usually have to wait till about 11 to get into anything that's worth playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how long are you, so once you start at 11, then how long are you, are you sitting there playing? So I hope to be sitting there playing for five or six hours. You know, it's, it all depends. In tournament poker, once you run out of chips, uh, your little icon disappears and you're just done. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it could be 10 minutes. I could uh, get a hand that I think I'm going to win with and uh, get it all in against somebody and wind up losing. I could be done in 10 minutes. But on most days when it goes good, uh, yesterday I played two tournaments. I got a fourth place and a first place, and the first one took me three and a half hours, and the first place one took me closer to five hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then, I spent about eight hours yesterday playing poker. Okay, so then you play for like a shift, for a five-hour shift or so, depending on, on how well you do. And then do you take a break and then come back to it later in the day, or is that it for you? That day. Well, a lot, a lot of times I'll plan on playing at night if they have something good going on. There's so much more money and uh, so many more people playing at night that you uh, playing at night's important. So yeah, I absolutely always take a break. Sometimes I'll take a little nap and get refreshed. You know, uh, go for a walk, eat a good dinner, do something to get pumped back up because. After sitting, staring at a computer screen for four or five hours, your mind kind of wanders and mm-hmm. it's hard to focus. And if you lose your focus, you're going to start losing your chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of give me an idea of how, because I don't know anything about poker, so especially online poker. So um, just give me an idea of how much someone um, playing what you do, how much they would invest and then how much like a range of what someone could could win are we talking like hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars or is that not a question that you want to answer <laughs> no i'd love to i'd love okay. to leave it that so there are you could find so many stories of people that have put you know a hundred dollars online built it up to hundreds of thousands and it just depends on how good you are what route you want to take if you're willing to grind at the lower stakes to get better at your game and move up so you can, you know, you can play online with a $10 bankroll. And in fact, there's some sites that'll just give you uh, what they call free rolls just for signing up. And you win a little money in that. You can build up your, your way without even ever putting any money online. Mm-hmm. The downside to online poker is that it's not regulated. There's only three states in the nation where it's actually regulated. It's New Jersey, New York, uh, and uh I'm sorry, <laughs> Las Vegas, New Jersey, and Delaware. And mm. so that's the only place that the games are really safe to play. As much as I love playing online, there have been several instances where I've been cheated and uh, other people get cheated. The sites just don't pay people. So it's it's a little bit of a gamble if mm-hmm. you, uh, you want to, you know, I wouldn't suggest to anybody to, if they're just going to play online, unless they live in one of those three states, there's, there's really no way to make a career out of just playing online. 
So are the people from those three states playing the same game as you? It's just that if that it's regulated there, or are they playing a different game? Playing the same games that uh, I am. There's uh, a whole bunch of different games. They're playing on sites that are almost exactly the same as the sites that I'm able to play on uh, here in Tennessee. But they, like I said, they report everything, and they're very strict about who gets on there. They make sure all the players are over 21. They make sure that there's no collusion. And, um, you know, so for example, collusion's a big deal. Uh, You could have one of your friends sitting right next to you playing at a table, the same table as you, and you guys could be sharing your cards and betting other people out of the pot. And without regulated sites, it's really hard to guard against that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so when you're playing, who who else? Who are you playing with? Are they are you playing with people just from Tennessee, or is it people from all over? It's people from all over the world. Actually, mm-hmm. a lot of times the sites will show uh, what country they're from, or sometimes it'll break it down by city. But you never really know who you're playing with because nobody's using their real name; they're using a screen name. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the sites uh, don't even allow you to identify the other players. Um, I don't know how to put it. You, you pop up as a number. So if you're the 30th person registered in the tournament, you're player number 30, and that's it on mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the sites. But then on the other sites, you play against the same people a lot of times. You see their, the screen names are the same. And most people, including myself, have tracking software, so you can learn about those people when you play on those sites. You can find out what their tendencies are and how they react to certain situations, and it makes it easier to play against. Really? So tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, so... Um, when you play on sites that allow tracking software, which is about half of the ones that I play on allow it, it keeps track of every hand that you play against a certain opponent. So sometimes you'll have played a couple thousand hands against a person with the the screen name, and you can tell if they're going to fold to uh, a raise or if they don't really defend their big blind a lot or if they just don't ever throw their cards away, if, if they always call. And just knowing a little bit about their tendencies from not, instead of having to sit there and figure it out, really gives you a little bit of a leg up. And the sites uh, are trying to abolish this. The legal sites right now just came out with something saying that they're going to cut out third-party software, which I think is a good idea, even though it helps people like me that are you know doing this to make a living. I think it will even the playing field if all of the sites block the third-party tracking software. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right, so tell me about the, um, the world's, uh, the, the championship, <laughs> the world series of poker. The world series of poker. Okay. Yeah, this is like the mecca for poker, poker players. Um, if you're serious about poker, you go to Las Vegas in the summer and, mm-hmm. uh, I just spent three weeks out there and I loved every minute of it. So the world series of poker is a set of I think this year it was 80 events and uh, people from all over the world come and there's buy-ins from uh, as low as I think $400 might have been the lowest one this year up to some years they have a million dollar buy-in. I think this year the biggest one might have been a hundred thousand dollar buy-in and people just flock to Las Vegas. It's, it's like nothing you've ever seen. They had over 600 poker tables just at the Rio for the World Series, and then all of the other casinos in town set up all of their own tournaments. So mm-hmm. if you go to Vegas it, during the summer, you can find a poker tournament depending on how much money you want to put mm-hmm. into it. And then aside from that, you have the cash games, which are incredibly lucrative as well in Vegas because everybody that thinks they're a pro makes their way to Vegas to try and win some money in the summer. Mm-hmm. And how many years have you done this? The first year I went to Vegas for poker was... 2005. Um, I played in the main event in 2005 and 2006. And of course, uh, I didn't cash in either one of those. You know, I was what you would call a fun player back then. Um, There's pretty much two types of poker players. There's the recreational fun players, and then there's the professionals. And uh, yeah, I was up until a few years ago, I really considered myself a fun player because I just had a lot of fun with it. I didn't care if I lost the money, and uh, I, yeah, I just wasn't serious about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you do care. <laughs> I know. Yeah, now I care because <laughs> if, if I don't win, I don't pay the bills. So 
yes, it's pretty important to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm playing good. You know, I look back at some of the things, some of the mistakes that I made and uh, how I could have probably won a lot more back in those years. But mm-hmm. uh, it was just, you know, I was doing it to have a good time. Now I'm doing it to you know, put money in the bank. So how, are, how, how have things changed for you from being a fun recreational player to being a professional player? Well, I realized that I had to study a lot and I had to uh, go over, you know, my games, my hand histories. There's really a lot of work into it. I've read so many books and listened to so many podcasts. And as I said, I've taken up meditation. There's so many different things that you have to do. It's just like a job. And if you're going to be good at it, you have to really get into it and really put the effort into it to be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so you've been doing this for how long? Professionally for one year. Okay. And so do you think you're so – what are your plans? Are you going to continue or, or what are you thinking? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I plan on doing this as long as the poker gods will allow me to – keep going and uh it's just it's more fun than i can imagine mm-hmm. you know uh i get to set my own schedule and uh, there's always a poker tournament there's always poker we went to spain in january for a vacation and i was able to play poker in spain and uh it's it's just everywhere uh poker's just really taken off again and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun so hopefully i'll be doing this for for quite a while mm-hmm um, so I have, we have a bunch of questions and topics to get into, but before we do, let's, let's go back, um, and just tell me a little bit about you. Um, like, who are you? Where did you grow up? A little bit about your family, maybe. And, sure. and what was the first time you played poker? Well, the first time that I, I played cards for anything that I remember was back when I was seven or eight years old. My buddies and I would would play whatever we could play for baseball cards. We would, you know, we would gamble for baseball cards and it was fun. And then as I got older, I got interested in uh, playing cards and I lived out in Los Angeles. And back then you could get into the card rooms before you were 21 because they weren't strict about it. So I would get $20 or whatever I could come up with. And I'd head down to Gardena where they had all the legal poker rooms in Los Angeles. And I'd sneak in and I'd get seated in a game and I'd lose my money every single time, but mm-hmm. I just had the greatest time and every chance that I got, every time I made an extra little bit of money, I would head down there and play and have a lot of fun. And then once I got to be 21, I got into uh, gambling a little bit. So there's, there's a huge distinction between poker and, and gambling. Anybody that tells you they're a professional gambler, you really need to be skeptical about it because the casinos weren't built on winners. So nobody is playing craps or roulette for a living. And mm-hmm. if they're telling you that they are, they are being dishonest at best. Um, mm-hmm. You can play blackjack for a living, but you've got to be really good and you got to not get caught counting cards or the casinos will throw you out. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of, uh, a lot of gambling in my, my twenties. And, um, you know, I had my credit lines with the casinos and they'd, buy me rooms and pay for my flights and I was just living it up doing that and then uh, I started realizing I could win at poker so as I got a little bit older I started playing poker a little bit more often and I'd, you know I'd win and I'd win some and I'd lose some and then I kind of gave up on the the gambling aspect of it mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit more about about you um, and just and uh, anything that can kind of paint a picture of who you are before Use before the dominoes. Before the dominoes. Well, I was, uh, um, I was in the Air Force for um, four years with the, the Air Force and two years with the uh, Air Force Reserve. And I started delivering pizzas part time to make a little extra money. And this was back when Domino's was under a thousand stores and they were growing really rapidly. Mm-hmm. I got into managing one of the stores and then I had an opportunity to. Uh, be a franchisee. So I, I jumped on that. My mentor, a man named Chris Hall, it's no longer with us, but he was just fantastic. And he helped a lot of people become franchisees back in the day. And so I got into the pizza business and I absolutely loved it. I did that for 
for quite a few years. I finally got out in 2009, mm-hmm. and that's when I got into the the multi unit management, mm-hmm. and um, and then last year got into poker. Okay, and you're from California originally. You said I am. I was born in Los Angeles, and uh, my teenage years I spent in Alabama. My parents moved out to where uh, my dad's family was in Alabama, and so I stayed out there till I was 18, where I, that's when I joined the, the Air Force, because I, I had this, you know, you'd see all these commercials of people flying airplanes, and I always wanted to fly airplanes, so I signed up the Air Force, I thought, hey, they're going to put me in an airplane, well, then I found out if you don't go to college, you don't fly airplanes, so after uh, uh-huh. four years uh, in active duty, I actually got out and put myself through flight school. So I hold a single and multi-engine land pilot's license as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then you moved from Alabama to Tennessee? Uh, well, I, I went back to California with the Air Force, and I stayed out there in the pizza business uh, for quite a few years. And then in 2003, we sold our stores out in California and moved back to, to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I got into the um, corporate world, I, I got bounced around a little bit. I moved from Alabama to Georgia, and then they asked me to move to Tennessee, and it was the fourth time I had moved in as many years, and I got to Tennessee, and mm-hmm. um, I asked my boss, the vice president, if, you know, I said, hey, look, can I stay in Tennessee? You guys have moved me around. And he said, oh, yeah, don't worry about it, Brett. You'll be fine, you know, so I bought a house and got settled in, and then six months later, they said, hey, we'd like you to go take over the St. Louis market and help them out, and I said, well, no, you know, you said I could stay here, and, and they said, well, okay, no problem, don't worry about it, and then three months later, they laid me off, so oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, kind of a bummer, but, you know, I, I was very hireable, so I got right yeah. back into the, the business world, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I, like I said, I did that for last several years and uh, mm-hmm. figured it was time for a change and, and now I'm playing poker. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go get into to poker. Um, some of these, we have a lot of questions from listeners and then you've also sent me a list of topics. So is there anything that anything that you sent me that you want to talk about that you think is important to share? Absolutely. The, the skill game aspect, I'd like to just cover that because that is so important. Um, you know, nobody looks at a golf tournament and says, oh, that guy's lucky. That's why he wins every week. And nobody looks at a chess match and says, oh, well, you know, somebody can get lucky and beat a master chess player. But poker, there's still the belief that it's luck. But if you look at the guys that are making the most money year over year, it's always uh, the same people or uh, a good set of the same people because it's a skill game. And I think overall, I would love for people to know that poker really is a skill game. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we were walking a couple weeks ago, and my uh, neighbor that I hadn't hadn't talked to in a few months drove by, and he knew that I had quit my job to pursue poker. And first thing he said was, hey, Brett, how's the gambling going? <laughs> and I, I just had to laugh because, you know, I told him it was going well, but that's the way people perceive it. And I think the biggest, uh, you asked one of the questions was, well, how do people react to the hardest thing for me, I think, was telling my mom oh, that yeah. I had. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> I had given up my my great corporate job, four hundred one k, paid vacation, uh, steady salary to uh, chase a dream of playing poker, and surprisingly, she was a hundred percent supportive. And um, you know, she's always been real supportive of everything I did, but I think I was most nervous about telling her that I wasn't going to have a steady income and that I was going to play poker for a living. Uh-huh. <laughs> did, did anybody else have a, a mixed reaction when you told them? I think most of my friends uh, loved it. They supported me. I had a few that asked me, how come I waited so long? And, uh, you know, most of my friends play poker in some capacity or the other. None of them do it professionally, but everybody that everybody else that was in my life was completely supportive of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let's talk about is is poker a crime is it legal illegal is it what's um let's yeah, we'll, skip with that <laughs> all right so um so we've got uh, the two types right you got your online poker and then you've got your live poker and both of them have the sketchy element to it and they have the legal element so the world series of poker puts on a circuit 
that they travel to several different locations. They come here to Cherokee, which is just a few hours away, and they stop in Tunica, and they go to Chicago. And uh, that's all completely legal. They're hosted by casinos, and you can play poker legally without anything to worry about. Then there's the underground circuit, which is everywhere. There's probably underground poker rooms in every decent-sized city in the country. There's several of them here. And those, while not being legal, are not really high on the list of priorities for being illegal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit a uh, mix of, you know, six of one, half a dozen the other. But again, with the, the underground games, you have to worry about collusion. They Sometimes they take too much money out of the pot for the house. And there's a lot of reasons that the government should legalize poker, you know, online poker, regular poker, tax it and let people play in a fun, safe environment. Mm-hmm. So what does an underground poker game look like? Is it just in someone's house? Well, it, uh, you know, it's funny because you think you picture this dark little seedy room like in the, the movie Rounders. You go yeah, that's exactly you, what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you knock on the door and they slide open the little uh, gate and you give them the password and uh, you go in. Well, no, uh, an underground game is just basically where someone has set up a, a little poker room. People don't usually do it in their house anymore just because it's kind of gotten big. Most of the games have, you know, four or five tables set up and so it's usually in a in a building that someone has rented or in a warehouse, things like that. And you just go and usually you have to know someone to get in because obviously they don't want people coming in that are, you know, not good for the game. Mm-hmm. And you, you go and you hang out with your friends and the house decides how much they're going to take out of the pot, uh, which is usually about twice as much as any casino would take. And that's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, the, and the bad. Let me let me add. The bad side of that is sometimes you know there's uh, the underground games get robbed and that's happened. Um, you know we've had that happen here in the Chattanooga area last year. There was a game. In fact, one of the games I play at actually they got robbed uh, at gunpoint last year. Luckily, I wasn't there and nobody got hurt. Oh, wow. But there's still some CD elements out there. You know, anytime there's cash, people mm-hmm. are gonna be thinking what can I do that's stupid to take it away because I don't want to work you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's women only um, World Series of Poker events absolutely and you know this is the greatest thing uh, because women only make up about 5% of the poker tournament fields right now and it should be a lot more there's a, a stigma with this because there's a lot of the older guys that just haven't learned how to treat women and they're they still talk down to them and things like that and the poker world is trying to rid uh the casinos and the tournaments of those type players because everybody wants women to play the women are just as good as the men and you know they play just as good and there's no reason they shouldn't mm-hmm. be in there the world series puts on an event and it is a women's only event but because of our laws, they have to allow men to register if the men would like. Mm-hmm. I, I don't approve of that. I don't think it's a good idea. But they charge the men ten times more than they charge the women <laughs> to get into the event. Really? <laughs> so at, at least there's a little justice in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it would be really nice if the, all of the players would say, okay, it's a women's event. Let's let the women play. So what would their motivation be to to defy the rules and, and then to pay 10 times as much. <laughs> Maybe to think that, you know, you've got guys that just think that because they're guys or whatever, that they're better than women at poker. And uh, it, it's just the, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the word for it is, but their, their mindset hasn't evolved enough to realize that everybody's just, you know, can be just as good as you are or better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing. I mean, I don't know anybody. I wouldn't. I wouldn't associate with anybody that would uh, a man that would join a woman's event. And I, you know, if I did associate with them, well, I wouldn't talk to them again after I found out that they did it. So I don't really know yeah. any of the people that have done that. But I'm sure they have their reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, maybe there's another side to it that I don't understand. Uh, but mm-hmm. the way I look at it is that if it's a women's event, they should stay out of it. Mm-hmm. So there's Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Explain what <laughs> <Yes>. that is. <laughs> okay. So uh, 
Bitcoin is uh, is a cryptocurrency. It was the original cryptocurrency. It's probably the strongest cryptocurrency out there, and it's just a way of transferring money. Um, well, electronically, it's really simple. You get a little QR code, and if I were to give you money in Bitcoin, you would have a little QR code on your phone. I would scan it. The money would go right over to you instantly, mm -hmm. and it's usually pretty inexpensive to do it. And since Bitcoins came out, there's been thousands of other what they call cryptocurrencies that have came out. People started buying them as investments. I don't think that's a great idea just because there's there's nothing there. There's no substance to it. The only reason that Bitcoin is worth any money is because there's only going to ever be 21 million Bitcoin in the entire world. So there's a limited supply. Mm -hmm. But a lot, a lot of these other uh, cryptocurrencies have unlimited supplies with people invest in them thinking that they're going to get rich. And, you know, maybe they will. Uh, mm -hmm. More power to them if they get rich. But I think Bitcoin is going to be the most stable cryptocurrency out there. And I think it'll be around for a long time. Also, the online sites all use cryptocurrency to uh, take money in and give money out mm -hmm. just because none of the banks in the United States will allow you to, uh, to transfer money to gambling sites or poker sites at all. So is that, is that legal then? It's not illegal. Uh -huh. um, you know, I think even President Trump said something the other day about he wasn't a fan of uh, cryptocurrency. And... They're trying to regulate it. I don't know how they would ever regulate it because there's not a centralized bank or anybody that handles it. It's the same all over the world. And, you know, a Bitcoin here is worth as much as a Bitcoin in Australia. And I don't know how, you know, they would ever find a way to regulate it. Right. It seems like it could be hacked or you compromised. Would think that. <laughs> you would think that. And so far, no one has been able to hack it. It's uh, it's done on a system where they have to have different confirmations. Like if I were to give you $100 in Bitcoin, it would go onto the network and then uh, six different computers would have to verify that that's a legitimate transaction before uh -huh. your funds would be cleared. And, you know, it usually only takes like 20 minutes, but it's got a system where one transaction checks the other mm -hmm. and it, apparently it can't be hacked. I, you know, I, I know nothing about the inner workings of it. I've I've used Bitcoin for years, but I still don't understand how it works. But I know that they say it cannot be hacked. And as of, you know, right now, mm -hmm. 2019, nobody has been able to hack into the, the Bitcoin network successfully. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's see. One of the listeners, Marty Walker, he asked um, how much you've studied human behavior, micro expressions, body language, nonverbal communication. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. You know, that's a huge thing. As you move up in stakes or you get deeper in the poker tournaments, you have people that can really tell at how how good you're playing or, or if you're not being honest with your hand and things like that. So I've read a lot of books. I've watched a ton of videos. I've done everything I could do to learn about what they call tells. And uh, so many people have them. Like, I'll sit in a, a low-stakes cash game, and it's just funny to watch how everybody is just playing with their cards basically face-up. You can tell if they have a good hand. If, if they've, they've got a good hand, they act like they're weak. If they've got a bad hand, they act like they're strong. If, uh, you know, the flop comes out, they'll glance down at their chips if they're going to bet. Uh, there's so many things that you can tell with behavior. Now, these guys that are playing these $50,000 high rollers, if you watch them, they make the same movements, whether they're betting, checking, it doesn't matter. And it's almost impossible to pick up anything off of them. And that's why they're playing in $50,000 buy-in tournaments, because they've learned to, you know, to not give off the tells. Mm -hmm. Does this carry over into your personal life? Do you do you read people and kind of tell what they're thinking, or? <laughs> you know, I think that it does, and it, you know, I'll I'll see something that I've learned in poker, and there's a lot that I have learned that uh, I can use in regular life, and it, it really is interesting how human behavior uh, goes hand in hand with playing poker. Can you think of a specific situation where you were able to read somebody in your real life? Wow, in my real life. Um, <laughs> that's a great question, Carlina. Um, gosh, in my real life. You know, 
I, I don't have anything that comes to mind right now. I wish that I did because, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But uh-huh. I don't know. I, I guess, um, you know, you're trying to tell at poker, you're trying to tell if somebody is lying or being honest. And I guess I'm not confronted with that a lot in, in my real life because I have a, a close circle of uh, friends and family. And I guess I trust all of them. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you're getting dishonest with me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was just wondering if, because that's a a skill, um, you know, being able to read people like that. So um, it is. You know, I wanted to throw in one more thing about the World Series of Poker. uh, Uh, Again, you know, it's it's so much fun out there just to be involved in it. And they had a thing this year called the Big 50, and it was one of the first tournaments that they held in the World Series uh, event. They got 28,371 entries, and all those people paid $500 a piece to play in a poker tournament. So that tells you that uh, poker is really booming, and it, it was the biggest poker tournament in history. I was lucky enough to play in it, and uh, I got into the money in it. I didn't go as deep as I would have liked, but mm-hmm. it, it was pretty amazing. And like I said, anybody that is, even if you play poker for fun, just being in Vegas for the summer, even if you're out there for only a week, it's it, it's just really neat. So have have the, has the number of poker players increased in the past few years, would you say? Absolutely. You know, back in 1970 when this thing started, they – they got less than a hundred players in the main event. And this year um, we had over 8,000 and over 8,000 people that paid $10,000 a piece to get into a poker tournament. So it seems like it's increasing, you know, the poker, what they call the poker boom was in 2003, uh, a guy from Tennessee named Chris Moneymaker won the main event. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's funny because every, any podcast or any interview you listen to, uh, it it all that always comes up there there was a story about espn uh they were filming that main event and at the end of the night they were going through all the people that were playing the next day and one of the producers said he was upset because this guy put his name down as chris moneymaker and uh he thought you know i'm gonna find this guy find out what his real name is find out why i couldn't fill fill out the form correctly but his name is actually chris moneymaker he was an accountant from tennessee and he bought into an $86 tournament online. This is back before they uh, you know, took all the online sites down in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he turned that $86 into $3 million at the main event. And that's wow. pretty much what sparked the, yeah. the poker boom. Yeah. So there's, there's a, a, a huge increase in, in the number of players. What, is, what do you think is the draw? What is, what is the cause of this increase? that anyone can win. And it's so true. You know, they, they talk about Texas Hold'em taking a minute to learn and a lifetime to master. Mm -hmm. And there's also the the saying that anyone can win. And I think that's part of it because if you look at uh, the main event just finished this year, a 55 year old guy won the the $10 million first prize. Mm -hmm. And so Anybody that sets their mind to it, you know, and gets a good run of cards can go out there and, and turn a few dollars into a few million. And mm-hmm. it's just exciting. Mm-hmm. So the people at the, who come to this, this tournament, um, do they fit like one demographic? So they're mostly men, about 5% women. Is there a certain age group? Is there a certain like political leaning? Um, just kind of... Describe who it is that, that that would travel to Las Vegas to play for three weeks. <laughs> it is people from every walk of life, every age from 21 to 80. Uh, Doyle Brunson, uh, I think, is almost 90 years old, and he plays. He still plays in it every year. There's no politics in poker, which is just absolutely beautiful. We can sit at the poker table, and you will never hear anybody discuss anything there's no disagreements about politics or who they think the best person should be in office mm-hmm. none of that you're just there to take the other person's money and uh <laughs> at least in my experience it's never gotten political or uh anything like that and you get you know you get kids that are have just turned 21 to uh like i said in tunica this weekend <laughs> i sat next to a guy he said his 80th birthday was coming up this week wow 
So what do people, so people don't talk? They, they do. It, it ranges, you know, it really depends on how serious the game is. As you get later in the tournament, there's a little bit less table talk, but you know, when you first sit down, a lot of times people are happy and friendly and, and just kind of want to get to know each other. So it really depends on the game you're in. And I'm sure in the higher stakes game, there's a lot less chatter because Believe it or not, everything you say or do at the poker table is going to give off some information to somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, could you describe your poker face? <laughs> well, <laughs> I try to not. I try to not have one. I, um, you know, I try to make the same consistent movements every time when I'm getting into a pot. Um, I don't talk when I'm in a hand. I'll usually uh, clasp my uh, hands together in front of me and cover my mouth. You know, you can't fake a smile like you can tell if somebody is putting off a fake smile or not. And if you're not happy with your hand and they're looking at your mouth and you're trying to smile, they might be able to tell that you don't really have a good hand. So I try my best to just be as, as stone-faced and quiet as I can if I'm involved in a pot with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's see. We could talk a little bit about Black Friday while you're looking up the next question. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, April 15th of 2011, um, I was actually playing online that day. I was off work, and um, I went to register for a tournament, and it said, uh, a little thing came up and said, poker's not authorized in your country. And I thought, well, that's crazy. Of course poker's authorized in my country. Well, the FBI has had seized all of the maker, major poker sites. They they took Poker Stars and Full Tilt and Ultimate Bet, and if you went to their website, you just saw the uh, FBI logo, and it says the site has been seized by the federal government. Wow. And people lost millions of dollars that they had online because everybody just thought it was like a bank. You know, it's safe, and mm-hmm. nobody ever considered that one day the government would come in and seize all the money. And they finally were able to get their money offline uh, over the last couple of years. I think they started the payouts in 2016. Poker Stars came in and purchased all of the assets of the uh, the other company that had a lot of money online, and they went and paid all the players back just as a goodwill gesture. Mm-hmm. And so the people started getting their money back in 2016. But yeah, there are so many stories of people that you know they were doing this for a living in 2011, and then. Black Friday happened, and you know, you either moved to Costa Rica so you could play online, or you just realized that all your money was gone, and you have to go get a job. So people moved to Costa Rica, and could they reclaim the money that they lost, or they had to start over again? Had to start over again. Oh, so people actually, and they chose Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica was a, a popular spot. Some people went to Canada. Um, there are so many stories out there of just people moving out of the country to go and be able to play online poker. And it, and it still happens now in a couple times a year, poker stars has a big event called scoop. It's the uh, online poker series and people will go to Canada and set up a residence for a month just so they can play mm-hmm. in this, in this huge online series against all of these other, you know, people in the world. Apparently it's very lucrative. I, you know, I would love to do that, but I, I wouldn't even know how to set up a residence in a, a foreign country just for a month or, you know, if I'd be able to get my money off if, uh, if I won. It, uh, it's, it's really interesting. But, you know, the people that I guess if they're doing this for a living as far as the online portion of it, then they have it figured out. Mm-hmm. I can't even <laughs> – when I was in Vegas, I played a little bit online and I still have some money on the Nevada WSOP site and I can't even figure out how to get my money off of there because I've – I can't even log in now that I'm outside of Nevada. Uh-huh. So, so uh, huh. you know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. So is there a fear that this could happen again? The, did you call it a Black Friday? Yep, they call it Black Friday. And there's a little bit of a fear of that, but I think everybody kind of knows now, if you're playing unregulated sites, which most of the country is, that you just know that you just might not get your money. So most people don't leave too much money on there. And uh, they just, you know, they take it off in little chunks and uh, they don't get to where it would hurt them if the site shut down. Because everybody knows that that's a possibility that mm-hmm. one day, you know, you might go to log into your favorite poker site and it just not be there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Brian Crick asked, how much of your entry fees are personally funded versus from sponsors? 
another great question. It's really neat that you know. Apparently, you have some listeners that are uh, that know a little bit about uh, the poker world. I guess well, so. <laughs> uh, a lot of people are staked. There are several sites that will actually stake uh, that you can invest in poker players, or you can like I could go and set up a little profile on one of these sites and ask people to give me money. I don't take any money from any sponsors. The only thing that I do is occasionally when my buddies go play with me, we'll take a percentage of each other. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gives us an opportunity if one of us goes deep to, to make you know money off the other person. Like in oh, when I was in Tunica this weekend, I, I did real well in uh, two of the three tournaments I played in. And my friend was out there. I had, he had a little bit of percentage of my winnings and Mm-hmm. You know, it, it helped him pay for his trip by me giving him the, you know, the percentage that we'd agreed to before it started. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, there's now there are sponsors. If you watch any of the World Series of Poker, you'll see these guys that have the patches on um, and things like that. If you make the final table of a big event like the main event, mm-hmm. then a lot of the sites will offer you, uh, you know, a dollar amount here. We'll give you X dollars if you'll wear this patch while you're on TV. Mm-hmm. And how many how many sponsored poker players are there would you guess well well, it's hard to say that you know the rumor is that at the the nosebleed level that everybody has got a piece of everybody else that none of these people are buying into the million dollar events by themselves Uh, at least none of the poker players you know you've got you know some of your business people that just have more money they know what to do with that think buying into a million dollar tournament's fun i'm sure they're not Mm -hmm. uh sponsored or they haven't traded parts or sold parts of themselves as anybody but but most of the players at the the top levels uh from what i understand are have sold you know pieces of themselves and when you say when you say that they sold pieces of themselves does that mean that they just wear a logo or does it mean something else uh, it means something else so let's say that i wanted to play in a fifty thousand dollar event but i didn't want to put up fifty thousand dollars of my own money i might sell half of uh, that and collect $25,000 from people that would invest in me. Uh, if I did it, let's say I, I just did it, uh, on an even basis. Uh, so I'd say, okay, Carlina, you'll give me $25,000 and you'll get half my winnings. That's basically the simple way of putting it. But the, the guys that are real good, they'll actually mark up their, uh, their sales. So if you want to invest in say Phil Helmuth, he's got 15 world series poker bracelets. He sells, pieces of himself but he marks it up at a 1.8 percent markup so mm-hmm. to get 10 percent equity you'd have to pay him 18 percent of, of what it actually cost mm-hmm. so basically you're investing in someone else that you think can you know can win you a big bit of money mm-hmm. okay so marissa asked is poker considered a sport absolutely so uh, again just like uh, golf or uh you know, any other skill game, ESPN presents it as a sport. They uh, film it, they break it down into episodes, and uh, it has a pretty good following. And there's also uh, some online sites. There's a thing called Poker Go that you can subscribe to, and they pretty much film everything that's important in the poker world. So uh, I, I do believe it's considered a sport because you see a lot of the same people, you know, uh, going deep in a lot of the same tournaments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Megan Amens asked, how do you separate the emotional competitive nature from the logical, I need an income nature? Well, wow, what a, what a good question. There's a term called bankroll, which is what you use to you know buy into your tournaments or play in your cash games. And there's another term that some people use, which is called life roll. And the way that you do that is that you absolutely have to keep your bankroll separate from your life roll. You have to, if you're going to get into this, if you're going to go out and you're going to play poker for a living, you've got to have a money set aside to pay your bills mm-hmm. because it is an up and down thing and you can't take next month's rent money and go and hope that you're going to win because then you're gambling and then it's going to affect you when you play. Mm-hmm. And if you start thinking about the money, if you're playing, uh, the term is scared money. If you're playing with scared money, you are absolutely never going to win in poker because you'll be making decisions based on, oh my gosh, you know, can I afford to do this if I get put out of this tournament? Or has he bet too much money for me to make this call if I lose? So you absolutely have to have two sets of uh, money that you're playing with. You never should be playing poker with money. You need to pay bills. Can you tell if you're playing with someone who's 
scared playing? A- absolutely. When you get into a lot of these tournaments, especially at the World Series, just by talking with people, and that's why I'm saying every time you talk, you give up information. If you talk to someone and they've saved up all year and this is the one tournament that they've chose to play in, it's an exciting story and you're congratulating them for making it, but you're knowing that unless they've got the best possible hand, they're not going to call you. Mm-hmm. So you absolutely use that against them. And, uh, you know, all's fair at the poker table, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, people give up way too much information. That's why if you're going to do this for a living, you need to just sit down and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> So you've heard people give give away too much information. You mean just from their 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 facial expressions or things they say? Just the things that they say. So if if um, I sit down at the poker table and I'm talking with somebody and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm here from North Dakota. I've saved up all year, and my wife said I could enter this tournament. And this is the you know I put up my thousand dollars. This is the only tournament I get to play all summer. I guarantee you he's playing scared money and he is going to be very, very timid. Um, You know, it would be easy for anybody that that heard that to put pressure on him. And most of the time he's just going to throw away his cards. The time he doesn't throw away his cards, he's going to shove back all of his chips and you'll know he has a good hand and you just get out of the way. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's see. So let's compare to... The person you are now, how have you changed um, from the you, let's say, I don't know, 15, 18 months ago when you were, you know, just before you decided to make this decision? How, how have you changed as a person? Well, I've really taken the game much more seriously. I look at, you know, all of the opportunities that I had. I, there was one time um, I, <laughs> I had the chip lead in this poker tournament in the first place. It was a couple thousand dollars. And I had double the amount of chips of anybody else. And it was 11 o'clock at night, and I was tired. And I just told my wife, you know what, I'm just going to let my chips get blinded out. And I wound up finishing eighth in the tournament. But I was tired, and I went to bed. Now I would never do that, because now I look at it as income. So I, I'm you know, taking it seriously. I'm trying to go over my hand histories as often as I can. I talk poker with my friends. I try and learn, you know, there's always somebody better. I don't care how good of a poker player you are. There's always somebody better. So I try to watch videos and Mm -hmm. just pick up on things that people do. So I think the biggest change for me is that once I realized that I'm doing this for income is that I had to be serious, that I had to treat every game, every hand like it mattered. Mm -hmm. And I had to really study and, and learn a lot about the game. So how have you changed like spiritually or emotionally? I think I'm a lot more calm um, because, you know, the meditation, uh, my wife had always tried to get me into meditation and, you know, a lot of the big poker players talk about it. And I thought, oh, that seems so silly. You know, I, I picture, you know, a guy sitting there with his arms, legs crossed, humming and um, p- probably like you pictured the back room, yeah. little underground poker places. But once I started meditating, I realized that it allows me to just clear my mind. And so I think that since I'm meditating and uh, being a little bit more serious rather than that, I'm a lot more calm than, than I used to be. And, you know, when I first started playing, I would, I would get a little bit upset and I'd talk about the bad beat this, that I got, which is, you know, when, and I should have won a hand because I got in with a, a better hand than the other guy and he got lucky. But I, the biggest realization out of all of this is that, and I can tell anybody that's listening, if you're doing this for a living, if you are saying that, you're not winning because you keep getting bad beats, then you don't belong uh, playing poker because if you're not winning, it's because you're beating yourself. The The bad beats are going to happen, but if you think that you get unlucky and that's why you're not winning, then you really should pick another career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we can um, get into what, what advice you would have for somebody who maybe is in a nine-to-five job that they're that is not fulfilling and they have this this passion or this skill and they think, well, maybe I could do that. I mean, what, what advice would you have for somebody? If you can afford it, I think they should do it. That's, that would be the first thing. I mean, if you really want to do this and you know, it's not going to make you homeless in six months, then you should go for it. But you have to realize that it's going to be a commitment. You've got to set up uh, a strategy on how much you're going to play because if you just go into it thinking, I'll just play as much as I can and you don't have a plan 
you're going to burn yourself out. And if you don't set aside money to pay your bills when you go through the downswings, then you're going to get frustrated and you're going to play like you're playing with scared money. So you really have to have a plan if you're going to go into this. But I've heard so many people say, oh, now's not the time to get into poker because the fields are so tight and it's really tough. And and all that's true. It is. It's It's tough. There are really good players out there. But I think that if you've got the passion for it and you can afford to do it, you know, make a plan. If you've got enough money in the bank to pay your bills for 12 months and bankroll yourself, then take a year off and play some poker. If it doesn't work out, go back to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you said uh, in the beginning that you plan on doing this, you know, for forever. Or um, Is there something that, that would um, happen that would prevent you from playing it? Forever, yeah, or, if, yeah. Uh, if my uh, if I lost my bankroll, yeah, <laughs> yeah, if uh, if I ran out of money, then uh, that's pretty much the end of the road right there. You bust your bankroll, you're not getting into any tournaments, and or you're not going to be able to go sit in a cash game because you don't have any money left. So um, that would be the thing that would would take me out of the game. I, I don't see any other reason that I would would stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what other are there any other important topics or things to talk about? Well, uh, just I'd like to talk a little bit about poker regulation, and okay, you know, yeah. may, maybe you've got somebody that's involved in politics out there that that has some influence that listens to this. the The country needs to legalize online poker and regular poker because right now it's going on anyway and the government's not getting their cut and the players are getting cheated in some instances and if the government would come in tax it and legalize it then uh, it would make it just so much better for everyone you know uh, in the state of Tennessee they just passed the um, sports betting bill which is you know it's all fine and dandy and stuff but uh, the sports betting, again, is just gambling. Nobody is really making a living at sports betting unless they're really, really good, unless they're making it a full-time career. They're studying. They've got all the computers and the graphs and everything. And you can make a living at that, but you've got to be really, really good. So I wish that they would have added on a, a bill to support you know, poker rooms and support online poker. Mm-hmm. How long were... Nevada, was it New Jersey and Delaware? How long have they had their poker regulated? It's just been a couple of years, and I think Pennsylvania actually just added on um, this year. I think that eventually, uh, maybe before the end of the year, we'll have online poker in Pennsylvania. But they haven't made it where the states can combine yet. So if you're playing in Nevada, you can't play against a player in New Jersey. So it's still just state by state. Mm. So the the dream, obviously, for the poker world is that it goes back to where all 50 states have it regulated and we can play against everybody in the, the states and in the world. Mm-hmm. But you, you just, you can't do that. And, and it's funny to see, like, uh, I pulled up Poker Stars while I was in Europe and they have uh, country-restricted poker games and it'll tell you you can register from this game unless you're from Iraq, Iran, Syria, or the United States. Uh-huh. And that, yeah, and that's really how it is. The rest of the world, well, maybe except for the exception of Australia, who's just recently, I guess, outlawed online poker. But right now, the United States is one of the, the few countries in the world that doesn't allow people to, to play poker, which is crazy because, you know, Texas Hold'em was probably invented in Texas. <laughs> you, you would guess. Uh, so... So, do you know what those states did to get online poker regulated? I mean, how did they get that started? Well, they had to coordinate it with the casinos because, you know, at first the casinos were against online poker because they thought that it was going to take away from their player base of people coming in. And then they realized that it was like a big vacuum, like people would play online and then they'd get excited about playing online and they would go and they would play in the casino. So now... Uh, in these states, the casinos have supported it, and uh, that's how the, the, they were able to help push the online poker through. And then California is, you know, that's the biggest market. If California ever approves online poker, then it will probably go to the rest of the country. But right now, the the Indian tribes apparently are the ones holding it up because they can't all agree on 
what percentage they would get out of the market. And, you know, that's just the news that I read, but apparently that's, uh, that's where we're at with the, the California online poker mm-hmm. market. So one of the things that, that people can do, and a lot of people do, is they go to these World Series circuit events because they're pretty much everywhere. You, you can look at you know, WSOP.com and you can see where the circuit travels to and you can see the schedule of tournaments. So you have so many people that just go, wow, that's only a you know, $400 tournament. I can save up $400. I can go and play in that circuit event. And that's a great way to get started. If, you know, if you're playing your home game and you're, you're crushing everybody at home and you're ready to go, try against you know some real competition then get out and get to one of these events that is held all over the country at all different times of the year and uh, and see what it's like getting in the poker world it's it's more fun than i think anyone can imagine if you know if you're into games and and numbers and things like that yeah yeah well good good i think that's a, a good place to to end unless there's anything else you wanted to mention no, I appreciate you taking the time to, to have me on. I hope uh, that out of all of this that it's helped people with their thoughts about poker. And yeah. uh, just remember, poker is not a crime. It's a skill game, and I would love to see more people getting involved. Yeah, good, good. Well, I certainly learned a lot from talking to you. So um, so I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and everything. And so... Um, uh, I will be in touch. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. And then, you know, if one of these days I do win the main event, you can go back and say, hey, I had him on before he won the main event. That's right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right, Brett, you, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.